Are any of these seven free agents who receive qualifying offers worth the draft picks the Mets would have to give up to sign them? We'll discuss that on today's show. You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. On the show today, we're going to go through the seven free agents who got qualifying offers and see if any of them are worth the draft picks it would take for the Mets to sign them in the first segment, I'll get into the penalties that happen uh, if the Mets were to sign these players and sort of lay out uh, the stage here for the rest of the show on who did get a qualifying offer and what they'd bring to the table. In the second segment, we'll look at the four pitchers uh, who received qualifying offers. And then in the final segment, we'll look at Matt Chapman and Cody Bellinger and if either of them are worthy of the Mets uh, pursuing them in free agency. Before we get to any of it, though, I'm your host, Ryan Ficklestein. If you want to find any of my work, Follow me on X at Finkelstein Ryan. You can also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Now, any of these decisions that the Mets make this offseason are going to come from David Stearns, and he's not going to have a GM assisting him. Just a little note that I thought I'd throw on the show today. Stearns met with the media today at the GM meetings, and he did uh, let them know that they will not be filling that GM position this offseason. He said there's just too much to do right now, so they're going to leave that for uh, another time. In the past, the Mets operate without a president of baseball operations. Right now, he's got the fancier title, but Stearns is essentially the president of baseball ops, and he's operating as a GM would. He's leading uh, the charge when it comes to all these decisions, building out a front office, and also uh, you know, acquiring players this offseason. Let's get into the actual topic of the day today, which is the qualifying offer. Seven players received the qualifying offer, and if you're not familiar with the qualifying offer, this is essentially the mean salary of the 125 highest paid players in Major League Baseball. They get that number, and teams can extend a qualifying offer to their impending free agents. They can either accept that one-year deal, or they can hit the market, but they then hit the market with draft pick compensation attached to them. So if they sign with another team, then all of a sudden you get a draft pick in return if you are the team that had the free agent originally. So the seven free agents that got a qualifying offer are Shohei Otani, no surprise there, Aaron Nola, Blake Snell, and Sonny Gray, Matt Chapman, uh, Josh Hader, and Cody Bellinger. Now, I think the biggest surprise of these qualifying offer guys is probably Sonny Gray. He had a great season, and actually on a one-year, the number for the qualifying offer this year is $20.325 million. A one-year, 20 and change, a million-dollar contract for Sonny Gray based on the performance he just had. It's certainly worth it, and I get why the Twins extended it. It's just not the type of name you think about at the top of your head when this system is in place. You're, you're imagining the guys who 
are going into free agency and potentially fetching the four, five, six, seven-year contracts, the nine-figure deals, the, the top of the market. And while Sonny Gray is certainly near the top of the starting pitching market, he's just not uh, the typical candidate that you look at. He also is the type of candidate that could accept it. I, I don't know if he's going to get that much money on a multi-year deal. Um, is he going to get three or $60 million? He might. I, I don't know. And so if he does, he'll decline it. But that will certainly limit his market a bit because teams are usually more willing to give up that draft pick equity, as we'll actually get to when we talk about Gray in the next segment, on guys that they're going to have for a long time. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for him. Matt Chapman is another guy who I could see accepting the qualifying offer. Uh, if he just doesn't think he's going to get that much uh, you know, in free agency, and he wants to bet on himself to test the market again. Problem there, Chapman seems like a guy who should hit this market. He's going to be by far the best infielder available. While he had a really uneven season, he probably takes advantage of this bad market to at least get a long-term deal. It might not be $20 million per, but if he can get $17 million per season on you know a four-year deal, that'd be a great contract for a guy like Matt Chapman at this stage of his career. He's you know, entering his 30s now. So uh, I think... Everybody probably declines it, honestly, except for maybe Grace is my guess. But how does this relate to the Mets? What is the draft pick compensation they would have to give up if they signed any of these guys? Well, there's not a overarching rule here. It is divided based on your taxpayer status. If you are a competitive tax-paying team, as the Mets are, you're going to get hit a little bit harder if you sign one of these players. So... In this case, you would give up uh, your second and fifth highest selection in the draft, as well as a million dollars in international bonus pool spending. If you're a revenue sharing recipient, so if you're a team like the Athletics, right, that's you know enjoying revenue sharing, getting money given your way, their penalty is uh, the third highest selection in the following year draft. They're not trying to penalize those teams because hey, if they're a rev share team and they're spending, good, right? That that's Sort of the idea in the rule being that way. If you're not a tax-paying team, but you're also not a revenue-sharing recipient team, the penalty is the second-highest selection in the following year's draft at $500,000 in your international bonus pool spending. So for the Mets, the difference there is doubling what it would cost them when it comes to their international bonus pool money and the additional pick of the fifth-highest selection. It's a really tough penalty for teams to endure to sign these guys unless it's a player that you absolutely need. So the question for the Mets this offseason is who do they absolutely need? Shohei Otani is not a guy that I think they absolutely need, but he's a guy that if they decided to go all in on and they signed him, you're not going to care about the draft picks. Although it is interesting to note them because I think we've been discussing Otani a little bit along with Juan Soto, this idea of if you were to get Juan Soto long-term starting this offseason, you got to trade prospects to get him. And the thought on the other side of that is if you sign Shohei Otani, at least you don't have to trade for him. But you do have to give up two picks and that international bonus pool money. And you know if David Stearns is as good at identifying talent as the Mets hope he is, 
Those are assets that could really help the Mets. Those are assets that he could turn into future key contributors, particularly the bonus pool money. That's a lot of, uh, you know, you only have a set amount of bonus pool money you can allocate. That's taking a, a, a good chunk of it out of the coffers of what you can actually give out. So it's not to say, hey, that, that second and fifth, and it's not just a second round pick and a fifth round pick. I should really make sure I'm careful with how I, I, I convey this. Uh, it's the second highest and the fifth highest selection. So for the Mets, you know, this year, let's just say their pick drops from seven to seventeen because they're a competitive, uh, balanced tax-paying team, right? That pick to get to keep. Now, if they end up winning the lottery and they're in the top six, they get to keep that pick. It's their second highest pick after that. If they've already forfeited their second-round pick for some other transaction. Well, then it's the third, uh, you know, you know, it's a third round pick, so to speak. So again, it's the second highest pick that they're going to make in this draft and the fifth highest, and then that bonus pool spending. So again, on Otani, yeah, of course, it doesn't really matter. You would do it, but it's not as easy to make that decision for these other guys, these other six free agents who could all conceivably help the New York Mets in a lot of different ways, but are they worth not only the big contracts they're going to get, but giving those picks up on top of it. That's what we're going to discuss next, particularly looking at the pitchers who got the qualifying offer. First, though, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. You have the NFL season and you have the NBA season, both in full swing. Every night, you can probably find yourself an NBA game that is interesting where you can you know, put a little money on the line to give you more of a rooting interest. If you want to bet on a star player to score a certain amount of points, to hit the over, to uh, score some points, get a bunch of rebounds, you could combine that with that team winning the game. Make it a parlay and really boost those odds for yourself to win big. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including the spread, player props, over-unders, and more. If you want to join, you can visit at FanDuel.com slash locked on. And again, if you win that first $5 money line bet, you're going to get $150 in bonus bets to kick off your NFL or NBA season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Become a Locked On Mets insider today. Get access to one-on-one communication with me via text. Get text updates about the show, about the Mets. Yesterday, Steve Cohen's plan for an $8 billion renovation to everything around City Field was announced. I recorded a show, and the first thing I did was I sent it out to the Locked On Mets insider so they had access uh, to the special edition of the show. If you haven't checked out that show, uh, you can find it on all your podcast feeds and on YouTube. Uh, but if you want to be one of those Locked On Mets insiders, find the link in the episode description or go to subtext.com slash Locked On Mets. Now let's look over the pitchers who got qualifying offers a little bit more closely here and which ones would be the most worthy of giving up picks to acquire them. I think if you look at the four, Blake Snell and Aaron Nola are the two that 
you're not going to really sweat this over the draft pick compensation. Now, the combination of the draft pick compensation and the money is certainly a lot, but these are pitchers who would headline your rotation with Kodai Senga for at least five seasons is what you would imagine. And you know those deals, you know, you might want them to stay at five. They probably have to escalate to six, maybe seven years. But those are pitchers that are worth that type of money. They're worth that allocation of resources. I, I have discussed plenty of times already this offseason, um, even dating back to the end of the regular season, about how Yoshinobu Yamamoto was the free agent I wanted the Mets to go after. That's because I really think he's the best pitcher of the bunch, potentially, and at the youngest age. So I think the upside is really great there. And on a long-term deal, I just love the value you're going to get. I'm more concerned about the value you are going to get on Snell and Aranola in their 30s as opposed to the draft picks you're giving up for them. So I I think they're worthy of signing despite the qualifying offer. For me, it's more a matter of that component of just are they the pitchers to go all in and sign, especially when that next free agent class has so many top arms that – I like a little bit more. You know, Zach Wheeler is going to be a free agent after this upcoming season. Uh, Garrett Cole could be a free agent. Tyler Glass now could potentially be a free agent. And Corbin Burns, who has that relationship with David Stearns dating back to the time of the Brewers, he could be a free agent. So I don't love the idea of Snell and Nolan. Also, you look at Jordan Montgomery in this same class, no draft pick compensation tied to him. He was traded in the middle of the season so that, you know, exempted him from being uh, a candidate to get a qualifying offer. He's not quite the pitcher as those two guys, but he just showed himself to be able to, you know, have a frontline role on a World Series champion. I love the idea of Montgomery at a lesser price tag, maybe less years, without the draft pick compensation. A lot more than I like the idea of Snell or Nola. Sonny Gray, I was already apprehensive about just because he didn't pitch well with the Yankees in New York City. So how is he going to fare with the Mets? I didn't think it was a good fit anyway. Now you throw some draft pick compensation on it, and I want no part of Sonny Gray in a Mets uniform. Josh Hader is a little more interesting, okay? Because, of course, you have another Brewers connection guy here. But if David Stearns tried to sell me at the end of this offseason that the plan was, we're going to build a Super Bowl pen. And he went out. And he signed uh, uh, you know, multiple relievers, but the big one was getting Josh Hader. And they're going to shorten games because they have Josh Hader and Edwin Diaz at the back of that bullpen. I could totally understand where they're going for, you know, going with that. I, I could I could see the vision. You know, If you're trying to get through five innings with a lot of your starting pitchers and, and just knowing that, hey, just get that lead to those guys. Get that lead to those guys. You might even be able to put one of those guys in a, you know, a, a role where they're just – pitching in as early as the fifth or the sixth inning if there's a tough spot with multiple guys on base in the middle of a lineup. And you can set Edwin Diaz out in the sixth inning to get a big out against Bryce Harper. Like You could envision what it would look like with those two guys and how awesome of a bullpen it truly would be. With that said, to pay two guys what they will command because Diaz already has the $100 million contract and Hater is going to try to top it. It just feels unrealistic. The draft pick part of it, that just makes it a little bit worse. It's not that that would change my opinion on what Josh Hader could bring to my club if I was a GM trying to sign him. I wouldn't say, ah, I love him as my closer, but uh, in my, my second round pick or my third round pick and my fifth round pick, uh, I just I, I can't do it because of that. No, I, I think he's worthy of A, getting a qualifying offer and B, being signed 
without having it really hurt his market in free agency. But there's a team out there that needs Josh Hader more than the Mets do. There's a team out there who can sign Josh Hader and, and be comfortable giving up not only the draft picks, but the nine-figure deal because they need him as their closer. The Mets already have that guy in Edwin Diaz, and so they should take the you know 10 to, I don't know how much money he's going to make per season. Uh, well, it's not 10, geez. 15 to $20 million he might make per season um, and allocate that across three different good relievers. And I think that's going to be a much better way to build out a bullpen that right now, quite frankly, is barren. So, again, to recap, when it comes to the pitchers who got qualifying offers, Snell and Nola are the two where I could see them at signing them this offseason. I really wouldn't care about the draft picks. Sonny Gray, I just don't think it's a good fit. And Josh Hader, I just think it's you know not the best allocation of resources when you're not one reliever away from being a contender. There's too many things the Mets have to address when it comes to their pitching. Uh, I'd rather see them spend that 15 to $20 million on another starting pitcher. You know, if you could tell me that the price tag is similar for Josh Hader and Jordan Montgomery, there's no doubt in my mind who is more valuable to the Mets next season. It's Jordan Montgomery. And then when you factor in the fact that he's not going to cost any draft picks on top of it, just makes it even more of a slam dunk. Now, there's two other players, though, who got qualifying offers who are interesting free agents. I mean, you look at this class, you can call them, I guess, maybe the second and third best position players outside of Otani who are available. Um, maybe the guys who are going to make the most money in this class. And that's Matt Chapman and Cody Bellinger. I'll discuss their fit with the Mets next. First, though, another word from our sponsors. Cody Bellinger, is he a fit for the New York Mets? You know, the qualifying offer part of it doesn't really bother me. It's more committing to him long term. I I see what he did this year, and he certainly deserves to cash in this offseason. He bet on himself, and, and he won big. I mean, he hit 307 this year compared to a 210 average in 2022 and a 165 average in 2021. Got on base at a 356 clip. The year prior was 265. The year before that, it was 240. He hadn't slugged over 400 since the 2020 season. Didn't do that in those two years prior. This year, slugged at a 525 clip. Hit 26 home runs. Swiped 20 bases a career high. Drove in 97. Scored 95. Just a great player for the Cubs. Played 130 games. Put up a WRC plus of 134. That's weighted runs created plus measuring hitters based on a league average of 100. So he was 34% better than your league average hitter. He cut his strikeout rate by nearly 12% compared to those down years that he had. He was not MVP Bellinger, but he got close to that. And there was months where he was MVP Bellinger again. So I get the idea that, hey, if you want to improve your team this offseason, you're not going to get Shohei Otani, you're not going to trade for Juan Soto, Cody Bellinger is conceivably the best bat available. He is the guy that you could sign. He could play right field for you if you want. Um, he's played center, obviously, but I think Nimmo would be your center fielder still. Uh, you could play him in left field. You could play him at first base as an insurance policy for Pete Alonso leaving. You could trade Pete Alonso and have Bellinger be your first baseman. I don't love that, though. 
you know, you look at the ups and downs for Pete Alonso, and this was considerably or considered a down season, and he hit 40 plus bombs. I think Pete Alonso is guaranteed power production. Cody Bellinger, when it goes bad, it can go bad. And I don't know how many years he gets. He's only 28 years old. Can this guy get a seven year deal? I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility, particularly in this class. So I, I said, let some other team overpay for him. The qualifying offer, again, that's not what bothers me. It's the length of, of time. And if he goes bad, you don't want that dead money on your books. I think the Mets are in a position right now where they should be focusing this offseason. If it comes to adding bats, it's either trading for a bat with control uh, or it's you know, trading for a stopgap that's not going to cost you much, or it's signing stopgaps. It's I, I wouldn't sign anyone to a, a contract more than two years this offseason because you want to see what those young players you have can do, the ones that were on the team this past year, and Alvarez, Beatty, Mauricio, and Vientos, and the ones waiting in the wings with Drew Gilbert, Luis Angelacuna, Jet Williams. If the Mets are going to go anywhere this year, their young talent has to be a big part of it. You can't just rebuild this team through free agency again. It's not going to work. You need to leave that room for those young players to succeed. And if there's only going to be one, maybe two more big salary slots in that lineup, I'd want one of them to go to Pete Alonso and the other one to go to Juan Soto. And I would not want one of them going to a guy in Cody Bellinger who is capable, certainly. But I have my concerns about you know, is the floor going to drop out on him again? And I think that's fair. And, and maybe he, he is just great again. Maybe he figured it out. But why was he so bad for two years? It, it's still a, a great question. That's why he was a free agent before he was supposed to be when he was non-tendered by the Dodgers. The last guy to look at, though, is Matt Chapman. And, and positionally, there is a fit. If you wanted to uh, dangle Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio in trades and – plug in Matt Chapman to be your third baseman for the next you know, four seasons and you can get him on a four or five-year deal. Um, yeah, there, there's an argument to be made that he would be a good fit. He is an exceptional defensive third baseman. Chapman and Lindor on the left side of the infield would just have all the Mets pitchers thrilled about the upcoming season. Just two vacuum cleaners over there. And a guy that has has shown some pop. I mean, he has... 136 home run season on his resume. That was in 2019, the juice ball year. Uh, but in 2021 and 2022, exactly 27 home runs hit each year. This year it was 17, but seven of those came before the month of June. So 10 home runs in June, July, August, and September. There's a lot of concern in this profile. And while he has shown to be an above average offensive player in pretty much every season of his career, he's not an elite offensive contributor by any stretch. And depending on what it costs to get him on the contract, that alone has me worried to give up draft picks on top of it for Matt Chapman. I think he's the one where the qualifying offer to me does scare me away, which is kind of crazy to say because yeah, he's a starting third baseman. Why should you care about those couple draft picks? It's just that extra straw that, that breaks the camel's back on this one where it's already the skepticism on the player on the contract he's going to to get and, and the fit long term and, and also wondering like in in two years is Matt Chapman definitely going to be a better player than both Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio? I think you have hopes that one of those two guys 
can fulfill their upside and get to a point where maybe they're not the defender that Matt Chapman is, but they're providing way more offensive value and on a rookie scale deal. I mean, that that's the thing. Those guys are cheap. And I just don't think that Matt Chapman at this stage of his growth, what he just showed on a competitive team with the Blue Jays the last couple seasons where they acquired him to be the next version of the Josh Donaldson trade they made years before that. The exact same two teams trading for a player at the exact same position. Josh Donaldson went to Toronto and showed that he could carry a team. Matt Chapman was just another guy on that team who you know, played a good role, was an above-average starting third baseman, but was not elite. And that's the difference. And if you're going to be spending the money that I think he might still get in free agency, plus giving up the picks, no way. No way is he worth it. Um, that That's covering all seven, though. Okay, Otani is the guy that's the no-brainer. Of course, you give up draft picks for him. Nolan Snell, if you decided those were the guys that had to fill that need in your rotation, you wouldn't uh, blink over giving up the draft picks. But I think that there's better pitcher, not necessarily a better pitcher. Well, Yamamoto's a better pitcher. There's better options. You know, even if you don't get Yamamoto, there's better options in free agency outside of Snell and Nola where you don't have to forfeit that draft capital. And then when it comes to the bullpen, as far as the hater piece of it, I think that dollar figure, figure that he's going to get could probably be split up uh, and get you at least two, if not three, relievers that will fill out a bullpen that desperately needs depth right now as much as it needs top-end talent. And the draft picks would hurt on a reliever, too. So uh, that covers all seven. Uh, We'll be looking at the rest of free agency, of course, as the market continues to develop. Any more stories that come out of the GM meetings I'll be covering on tomorrow's show. Um, Or there's also an open plea to Steve Cohen I still want to make to keep on spending. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll get to that to, to close out the week here at some point. Um, make sure if you didn't watch the two shows yesterday, there was the original show on the Carlos Mendoza hiring and then the subsequent show I put out there on uh, the plans around City Field. Really excited for uh, the fans on that one, so check that out. Uh, make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe uh, on YouTube. Follow me on X at Finkelstein Ryan and uh, follow the show, Locked on Mets.